everybody, welcome to or back to Ronin Rabbit, a Yusagi Jimbo fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. If you want to leave feedback, you can leave it on the website, bigtimenoise.com slash Rabbit. Ronin Rabbit has a Google Plus page. The Gmail address is usagipodcast at gmail.com. And I post these episodes on the Usagi Ojimbo Dojo Facebook page, so you can find them there, as well as the Teal Productions page. Now, our story this time is Usagi Ojimbo Volume 2, Issue 1, cover dated March 1993, and this is the first Mirage publishing issue. And I'm going to change uh, how I cover these stories a little bit. In past episodes, when an issue had two stories in it, I covered each story in a different podcast, but now I'm going to cover the contents of an issue per podcast episode. Now, I have uh, two sources from, from now on for the show. I have the Usagi Ojimbo Saga trade paperbacks that Dark Horse has been putting out, and I have the actual issues. So these Mirage issues, which will be 16, the next 16 episodes, are included in the Saga trade paperbacks being published by Dark Horse. And then after that, the actual Dark Horse volume picks up and continues on. Um, I believe the there are, I have seen five of these solicited so far. Four of them have come out already. And um, I'm not sure how much farther they're going to go than five. I'd have to check into that. But these are excellent compendiums. They're roughly $25 cover price. I'm sure if you go to in-stock trades or some of the other online services, perhaps even your local comic shop, you can find them for a little bit less than that, maybe you know, 10 15 20% less. Excellent, excellent books. This one, uh, because we're starting off, basically, there's a little introduction on several one-page panels that Mr. Sakai has drawn, and um, bear with me a little bit. This is a a quick little catch-up of the time period we're in and Usagi as we start, in essence, a new story, although it's the continuation, it's just a new volume. The close of 16th century Japan is regarded as the age of civil wars as feudal lords fought amongst themselves for land and power. It was during the Battle of Adashigahara that the samurai Miyamoto Usagi lost his lord Mafuni to the armies of Lord Hikiji. Finally, one leader rose above the others and was proclaimed Shogun, which we know is the military leader uh, as as far as the uh, origin of the word. The shogun's peace came upon the land, and samurai warriors found themselves suddenly unemployed. Many of these ronin turned to banditry to survive. Others found work with minor lords or the emerging merchant class. A small number, Usagi among them, traveled the Musha Shugyo, the warrior's pilgrimage, to hone their spiritual and martial skills. Usagi's made many allies on the road, including Tomoe of the Gaishu clan, Jen, the bounty hunter, and Zatu Inu, the blind swords pig, my personal favorite. There also have been many enemies. Chief among them is Lord Hikiji, who, with his secret army of ninja, plots to overthrow the 
the new government and set himself as shogun. Usagi continues to wander alone across the nation, over mountains, deep into valleys, through towns and farmlands, and along rugged coasts, searching for harmony. With that, we get into the first story, which is entitled Shades of Death, is the overall story, but then this installment is called Shades of Green. And we open the story, we see Usagi and Gen running along a path that is one of those mountain paths that the one side is a sheer cliff into the uh, valley below, into the river valley, and the other side of the path is the sheer wall of the mountain, so it's a path kind of just hanging right on the side of the mountain. And they're running, and they stop because in front of them they see several of the Nico Ninja come around the front curve into view, and as they turn to go back the way they had been, uh, they are trapped by Nico Ninja on that side as well. The two men, Usagi and Jen, stand back to back, pull their swords, and uh, start to repel the Nico clan, which is fairly easy because the, the path is only wide enough for a single person. So they're able to fight one-on-one rather than being overwhelmed by the numbers uh, that there are. Slowly but surely, they make enough headway that the ninja fall back because one-on-one, they they are no equal to the two samurai. But the Nico uh, leader calls on the archers then as the foot soldiers were not effective. Hearing this, Usagi immediately sheaths his sword and jumps off the cliff into the raging river below. Jen kind of reluctantly follows suit because they realize that there's no way they would be able to combat uh, a a horde of archers. Falling into the river, um, they surface amongst arrows that are still being fired. The river takes them downstream. Um, I really like the artwork for the next several panels because you can see that the two samurai are very buffeted about, and then when they finally downstream, it says two miles, they emerge very haggard and beat up looking from where they have gone through these rapids, soaked. They come up sputtering and coughing, and you you can really feel over these panels that they have genuinely been through something. Um, Here and at another place a little farther in the story, let me flip through here and see it. Yeah, here it is. Okay. Um, Two of the next five panels, Mr. Sakai does something in his artwork that I've I've always enjoyed, and I I don't think I've really mentioned it up to this point, but a lot of times there will be humor in some way injected into the panels and thus into that portion of the story via smaller parts of the panel or a character doing something amusing in the panel. And both of these panels, it's an animal that is being used because they're in this forested, uh, largely uninhabited portion of the landscape when they first crawl out of the river, they surprise a Tokagi, who is sitting here sunning on a rock there next to the river. And the Tokagi exclaims, Eep, 
which is, I think, pretty much the only thing Tokagis can say. And then farther on, after they've gotten out and, and they're fussing about what they had to do, and there's a little uh, bickering between the two of them here as to whose fault the fact that they had to jump in the river was, which, for those of you that have been listening, you know this, um, those that this maybe your first episode or you're new to the relationship between Usagi and, and Jen, it's it's just short of adversarial. They work together, they have a, a healthy mutual respect, but I certainly wouldn't say that either likes the other. But they have worked together and I foresee that they probably will continue to do so, particularly when, when the story requires Usagi needing some help. Jen will be there. He will help Usagi out, um, even protect his life, as long as there is some sort of benefit that Jen sees in it. Uh, he is very much the Ronin. He is more a mercenary than Ronin. He, uh, that the the honor portion of of being a samurai, the bushido code, kind of falls a little flat with Jen, whereas Usagi is very much a an upholder of those beliefs. But as they're walking through the forest, here in the lower part of this panel, you see a little snail that is munching on some greenery. And I just thought that was a nice, just a little lightening up of potentially the air of where the story is. Because these two men now have been attacked. They just got out of the water. They're, they're fairly lost. They really don't know where they are. They're two miles farther downstream. You know, who knows? Going downstream in this river may not have been the direction they wanted to go. As they're walking, they hear a little rustling over in the in the woods besides them, and they draw their sword. They're very skittish because uh, they've been uh, chased by the Nico ninjas, and they think perhaps this must be some more of the ninja that has found them. But we see that uh, an individual wielding a bow staff pretty much takes Usagi and Jen out without much difficulty at all. And then standing here, we have a rat uh, who is the one holding the bow stick. And he says, well, he said, you guys seem a little lower skilled than I was hoping to, but I'll pass that off as you being worn out due to your recent swim, not a direct reflection on your skill as samurai. He tells them to follow him, and he takes them to a local village, where, which is where he's staying. Along the way, they make introductions, Usagi and Jen, of course. We find out the rat's name is Kakura. Something interesting about the rat, and I, you can't really tell, and I suspect by the end of the story, I'm more sure. But at this point, I suspect I know who this rat is supposed to be. Uh, it's a, a rat potentially that is a character from another franchise. I don't recognize. I, I don't have much experience with that other franchise. But this rat Kakura has a, a black spot that starts above his eyes, encompasses both of his eyes, and comes down his snout a little bit. Now I can't tell if that's an actual coloration on his fur, or if that whole uh, darkening is is meant to reflect how how he is constantly doing something to kind of shade some of his face so that he can't be immediately recognized. Kind of a, a hiding or maybe a, an ominous kind of 
foreboding thing or something like that. But I, I like that because it, it's not a it's not a hard and fast definite spot on his fur, as far as I can tell. It, it could be several different things going on. So Kakara leads him back to the uh, little village where he's staying. He offers everyone some food, and they're sitting and resting, and they find out, Usagi and Jen, that Kakara feels that the Nico Ninja are in the area because of him. He says that they have surrounded the village, and typically no one is able to get in and out. That's why they kind of had to be snuck in, Usagi and Jen, by Kakara. We then cut to a hut somewhere else, um, perhaps nearby. We, We don't really know. But we see the leaders of the Nico clan, who turn out to be uh, Kashira Chizu and Gunji. Now, Kashira is the sister to the former leader of the Nico Ninja clan, Shinjin, uh, who was fairly recently killed. In the, I believe that was in the Dragon Bellows conspiracy storyline, and because the brother was the leader, it the the sister felt, and I guess the rest of the clan acknowledged that she was next in line. Now Gunji kind of takes exception to that because he says that both he and Kashira were Chunin, which is executive officers, and he doesn't feel that a Kanuichi which is a female ninja, is the best clan leader that it it should be male. And here in these several panels, Mr. Sakai also drops another word to us, uh, Yonin, J-O-N-I-N, which is chief. Now as they're talking, Kashira realizes that she hears something, goes outside to, to investigate the sound, and finds a couple of the Komori ninja clan spying on them. The Komori ninja clan, for those of you that recall, uh, for those that may be new, are bats. And the leading edges of their wings have been sharpened to be as sharp as swords. So that way they can wield swords but still be bats. So the Komori are attempting to escape with whatever information they have gathered from their spying and Gunji and Kashira both managed to subdue and subsequently kill both. But now they come to the realization the Hikichi clan, who is probably the main nemesis or the longest running nemesis that Usagi has at this point, employs the Nico ninjas as their ninja clan whenever they need ninjas. Well, because of what happened in the Dragon Bellows conspiracy, the Nico Ninja clan has fallen out of favor with Lord Hikiji, and now the Komori clan has taken their place. So the Nico clan is attempting to get back into the good graces of Lord Hijiki. And the um, Komoris are trying to completely displace the Nico. With this spying thing that has just occurred, this this raise in hostilities between the two clans, Kashira now realizes that the only way that the Nikos are going to be able to regain their spot is by just going to war with the Komoris and um, defeating them that way. To me, 
that sounds like a pretty cool idea. It, it would be cool if going forward for quite a while, the two ninja clans are at war, and that, among other things, that will be a, a, a something that we can uh, see coming and going through the stories. Are these two clans clashing both uh, surreptitiously, uh, but also in, in front of our eyes? I don't know if that's what's going to happen. This story that we're reading, I believe, is only a three issue storyline so we'll we'll see what happens all right we cut back to the village as kakara and jen and usagi are uh, supping a messenger comes in bearing what we're told is a furushiki or a carry cloth to me it looks like um if you guys remember images of winos and vagabonds that used to travel with the, the stick on their shoulder, and then a uh, a rag bundle looked uh, usually looked like a bandana wrapped up on the end of the stick. That clump there looks to be the same thing as this carrying cloth to me. Kakara opens it and sees that it's the head of another samurai. He, having made mention earlier that the samurai were called to assist him. But it wasn't because of anything that he did directly. It was just the um, the spirits knew that Kakara needed help and was trying to get help there, whether it was a wrong turn in the path or a, a stopping in the village during a storm or things like that. Jen and Usagi were the first of the quote-unquote help, and then Kakara takes this decapitated head in the cloth which was found washed ashore from the river uh, as a sign that well the ninjas are pretty much taking care of anyone else that is getting too close trying to get into the village and and here's your message that you sent for him and and here here you go here he is so kakara realizes that uh well we need to go forward with what I was wanting to do with just the two of you, but you're still going to need help. In order to fight ninjas, you need ninjas on your side. So he tells Usagi and again to go down by the river and grab four turtles and bring the turtles back. So let me reiterate that we have a rat that is going to be uh, playing around with some turtles, and the publishing company for this volume of Usagi is Mirage. Uh, those of you that are in the know realize where all of this is going. I'll tell everyone that's new here in a second exactly where it went because they they pretty much dropped that in this first issue. So he starts, uh, Kakara starts muttering a, a spell, it looks like, doing some si- sort of magic. He's muttering words to himself. So here we have some more translations. We have the word ten, which is heaven. Chi, which is earth, Dobatsu, which is animals, and Kame, which is turtles. And then Jen and Usagi say together in their in the realization of what Kakura is, Mahatsukai, which is wizard. And then coming out of the smoke of the fire that Kakara is working with, we see four ninja turtles. Um, coagulate, although that's not the right word, when something becomes solid from smoke. I can't think of the word there. Sorry about that. Uh, 
uh, but they're they're here, and the image that I, the image I'm looking at, what baby? Materialize. Materialize. That's a better word. Yes, uh, are, are the Ninja Turtles. So that's what I was alluding to. the The rat could be Shredder. Uh, that's not what he's going by now, but. And then in the color version that I looked at, the turtles were some old school turtles because the eye coverings were all the same color. So I think this is pretty early on in the turtle run because the only way that you can tell them different is by the weapons that they wield. Whereas it will come eventually that you can also tell by the color of the um, eye covering for those times when they're not walking around carrying their weapon and you still be able to tell them apart. And for those of you that uh, are not familiar with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, oh my goodness, get familiar with them. That is a, uh, a major property from the early 80s, both cartoon and animated and geek culture and comic book. And it's, yeah, they're a, a long-standing pretty pretty major property well worth your while those original issues of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles by Eastman and Laird um, L-A-I-R-D Laird I believe is how you pronounce it excellent story writing uh, the art for the time perhaps in places is a little suspect but it doesn't really take you out of the story uh, the story itself is is uh, a, a wonderful story to my mind anyways so here we have Usagi and and Jen beholding the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as they have been summoned by Kakara. And so that ends the first uh, story of this issue. And so now I will use my copy of the book because in the trade paperback that I was using, Usagi Ujumbo Saga, I don't know if this story is later on in the issue, but it certainly doesn't follow the story that I just told. So I haven't gone all the way through this volume to see if it is included in here at all. Honestly, I do not know. Uh, my, my preference as I read the book is to go through it in the order that it's in the book, so I don't really jump around in here. Um, that just helps me stay a little more focused and not mix up things that I have read and maybe haven't talked about yet and everything like that. Anyways... Uh, going to the actual Mirage issue, there's a second story entitled, um, I believe it would be pronounced Jiso, might be pronounced Hiso, J-I-Z-O, and that is a uh, is is a a, a monument, a um, a tribute to someone that has fallen, basically. And we open up the first page here is a nice three panel page. We have first panel is an image of the woodcutters who. Stansakai has used often the male and female woodcutters with the the huge backpack-looking things stacked with wood. Then we see a, a lady approach a, a small hill here next to the main thoroughfare, uh, the path. And you, you can tell it's a main thoroughfare because in many, many panels in this story, there's a lot of foot traffic on it. But she is going up on a little hill and placing... Uh, a, a chisu across the road from another one that someone else has placed actually we see here in the background but this one that the mother's placed is the one that we uh, will focus on for this story 
And as she's setting the statue on the hill and, and you know, making sure that it's in a good location, she's saying, Jesus-sama, guardian of the souls of dead children, this will be your resting place. My son was murdered here by the five outlaws terrorizing this area. The magistrate and his men patrolled this road but have been unable to capture them. I pray, Jesus-sama, that no others will fall victim to these villains. The souls of children are doomed to pile stones in the dry riverbed of souls. I pray, too, the offering of the pebble will help ease my child's burden and hope that travelers will take compassion and offer the same. And she has a small rock that she places in front of it as, as an offering. And as she turns to leave, and, and all this time, uh, panel after panel, in the background, we see foot traffic going back and forth on this path. Again, um, eluding uh, or, or nay, denoting that this is a major thoroughfare of travel, of traffic. And as she's leaving, she ponders, hmm, a chill is in the air. I'll return tomorrow with a coat to keep you warm. So now we have a time frame, because she appears again near the end of the story. The statue uh, is a roughly torso uh, image of, of, of a human image, rather. There is a, a rough face that's been hewn into the rock, but not anything overly uh, descriptive, just a, a rough face. Several panels of traffic, uh, several of the travelers note the Jisu and they place offerings, some pebbles, some food. Uh, one of the travelers lays an apple there in front. Continue travelers back and forth. Dusk. Uh, the Tokagi come out and they're playing along the path as well. They're also eating the offering of uh, fruit that was left for the Jisu. Night has fallen now. We see Usagi traveling by. And in this particular uh, juncture of the road between these these two memorials in the Road, Usagi has stopped as he is being surrounded by this uh, bandit crew that has been terrorizing the roads, apparently at night, because we saw most of a day go by and nobody was waylaid, but here at night is when they decide to come out. I guess the freaks come out at night, as it were. Usagi quickly dispatches them. Uh, There really is not a a problem for him, and as he is... uh, this next panel is kind of amusing, or the last panel on this page, actually. We see all five of the bandits laying here in various poses, all of them with the they-are-dead death skull over them instead of word balloons. On the one side, we see the magistrate's men running up, blowing a whistle. On the other side, just kind of standing there with the paper, wiping the blood off of his sword, is Usagi. Uh, the magistrate's men look down at the pile of bodies, look over at Usagi, back at the pile, and they start carrying the bandits away, leaving Usagi, who basically has done their job for them, to to his own, and Usagi continues on his journey. Uh, final panel of that page, we see just the cleared road surface. The next day dawns, and the mother is back, and we have another image of the male and female woodcutters, this time going in the opposite direction. Uh, She has a little coat. She says, how wonderful. Some caring wayfarer has given a pebble to Chisosama. And there are a couple pebbles laying here. We also know that there was an offering of food, but the Tokagi took care of that. 
She says, there, this jacket will keep you warm at night. Huh, your expression has changed. You look more at peace, but that's impossible, isn't it? Well, that might entice others to make an offering, too. Two days later, we continue to see the traffic, but now there are many, many, many pebbles stacked in front of the Jesus statue as offering uh, by those that are moved by the memorial. And looking back uh, panel by panel, you can tell the the face of the Jisu is never, you, you never see it full on. It's from the side only, it's maybe a, um, a quarter side image. So you can see an eye and the rough nose and a mouth. And if you look close, the mouth has gone perhaps in the drawings from a slight downturn to a slight upturn. Uh, it's very, very difficult to see, and you could even argue that the drawing never changed, that it was just the woman's perception. I prefer, because I find it to be more, um, uh, you know, magical, I guess, to, when I'm looking at it, to actually be able to see that the mouth has changed a little bit from a down to an up, uh, denoting what she had seen, definitely had perceived in the statue itself, the the change in it. So that is Volume 2, Issue 1 of the Mirage volume of Usagi Ujimbo. Uh, Again, here are words that we have been given by Mr. Sakai is Yonin, which is chief, the Kanoichi, female ninja, a Chunin, executive officers, uh, perhaps second in command, uh, Furoshiki, which is the carry cloth that samurais will use to wrap up their possessions altogether. Ten, I believe it's pronounced, which would be heaven. Chi, earth. Dobutsu, animal. Kame, which I believe we've had before, turtle. And Mahatsuka, or wizard. Uh, let me look through my notes here. I think I've mentioned everything that stuck out to me. Probably the biggest thing is it would be, like I said, it would be really cool if the Niko Komori war... Um, was a continuing storyline and and there would be things going on in the background and every now and then it would roll over into our story. That would just be kind of cool to see, I think. It'd it'd be a a nice addition to the world that Usagi lives in, that not only the things he encounters, but here is something that's going on in the background that may spill over to affect him as well and the countryside. Next time we've got uh, Volume 2, Issue 2, which is cover dated May 1993 from Mirage Publications. We will talk to you guys then. Bye. The Ronin Rabbit Podcast is a Teal production, and as such, is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, non-derivatives, 3.0, unported license.